Adulting is the subtle art of always knowing what you're doing, for the even subtler art of pretending that you know what you're doing. Adults are not merged; they are made. Sometimes being an adult means taking a day off from being an adult. Welcome to another episode of the Toolkit for Quarter Life podcast. I'm your friend Kitty, as in Hello Kitty. Here you'll find all the tools you need to go through the quarter life crisis. Let's make these years count. When do you feel you've become an adult? The night you turn eighteen? The time you figure out how to pay all your bills? Or the moment you manage to hide your emotions? I went to a pie chart and time management course. It has a very big slice labeled as adulting. At that time, I thought, "Why is this taking up so much of my day?" I didn't even have that slice of the chart before when I was in school or or say even uni. But then it clicked. Adulting isn't just a task; it's a must-do part of our lives. But it's not just about that. Adults do all the necessary things, but they also put their hard-earned time into doing things that they love. Adulting is the subtle art of always knowing what you're doing, for the even subtle art of pretending that you know what you're doing. Adults are not merged; adults are made. And the formula for adulthood is really something like U plus short-term pain equals. Long-term gain. So in today's episode, let's talk about a few things that make us better at the whole adulting game. Number one, let's start with communication. Yep, the first thing is not about bills, meals, or cleaning up. It's about communication. Did you know that we humans don't quite match up most of the time? In fact, according to science, normal human beings are out of sync. About seventy percent of the time, even in our most intimate relationships, like with our parents or with our romantic partners or our best friends, a buddy of mine also once said, "Eighty percent of the problems in our lives are caused by poor communication," which I agree with completely. The road to adulting is paved with many awkward silences. There will be countless occasions in your grown-up life when you have to make conversations with near or complete strangers, in new jobs, meetings with in-laws, going to hairdresser or the dentist, which is one of the, which is one of the scariest thing I could ever imagine doing alone. Do you know how to be a good listener in all these situations? Are you able to be someone? Who's not just a master of all the techniques of like nodding or repeating the keywords, but someone who genuinely is interested in hearing other stories and understand others' emotions and feelings. A friend shared with me recently: just because I compliment others constantly doesn't mean these people can belittle me. That really hit me because she was such a good friend, such a considerate, caring, and supportive friend. I can't really imagine with all her kind of warmth towards other people. That is what she got back. 
So we all have those friends who use us to boost their ego or somehow make every story about themselves. In my world, that's definitely a no. Also, do you know what not to talk about? There is a mind-sweeping principle: save the politics, religion, sex, and tragedy for busties, and stick with discussing last year's holiday with your new boss or your partner's lovely grand. Do you know how to have a disagreement with a friend? Lately, I've been reading a book called *The Power of Discord*. And it talks about an interesting fact that, in so many cases, we try very hard to avoid any form of conflict. While, if you're willing to resolve this conflict proactively, if you're willing to communicate effectively, it will help us strengthen our bond and strengthen our relationship. <laughs> Let's move on to the next thing: our body. Surprise! Enter into adulthood means you are in charge of what you eat for the rest of your life. Now you are going to be deciding what meals to have three times a day, three hundred and eighty-five days a year, which is over one thousand times per year. No one can ever tell you what to eat, what to drink, and when to sleep. So the challenge and opportunity of adulting lie in making decisions that benefit your body both now and in the future. I won't talk too much about it in this episode because it's definitely something that's worth a much longer discussion. But the thing is, always remember that our body keeps the score. Okay, let's move on to the next one: friendship. There are several learnings that I've had、um, from the relationships in my adulthood. One of the most important things is to take the initiative and make plans. Have you ever felt that it's so hard to make new friends after you graduate? Have you ever felt that your social life is in a rut? Instead of waiting for someone else to make plans, why not be the one to reach out? There needs to be someone to reach out in any kind of friendships, right? So, why not you? Hosting an event can be a great way to reconnect with your friends and also have some great memory. I mean, there was a time when I invited a friend to my place for dinner, and I was trying to cook curry. When she walked in, she thought my flat was on fire. I was very glad we also ordered takeaway that day. It should be very simple. Just text them. Do you want to meet this weekend? Do you want to meet this month? Anything to catch up? If there is someone that you value, you will find time for them, and they will find time for you. Also, it's important to learn how to be a good host, which is definitely something that I'm working on. A good host ensures comfort for their guests. They offer a drink selection. A soft drink and a colic option and a hot beverage, which is simple but effective. If you've got some nibbles displayed in bowls for snacking, you're already doing great. And remember, keeping an eye on empty glasses ensures everyone's well served. Another important lesson in friendships is that don't expect too much from your friends. 
one of the primary mistakes I've made before in friendships is to expect too many things from one single friend. Every single friend. Sometimes we want them to do things together with us, offer companionship. Sometimes we want them to offer guidance to us to be our crew. Sometimes we want them to be able to emphasize and fully understand us. A valuable insight I've come across is that if a friend fulfills just one of our core needs, they're already a perfect friend, a one hundred percent good friend. Because for this friend, you might see her as someone who can go shopping with you. For that friend, you might see her as someone who can talk to when you're down. For this friend, you might see her as someone who get all your humor and can always laugh together. Then it's already more than enough. In friendships, don't rely too much on just one friend. Don't expect that friend to cater to all your needs. And it's really important to expect. Expand your friendship circle in your twenties because research show that in our twenties the quantity of our friends matters most, while in our thirties the quality of our friends matters most. Another insight is a is really a hard one, that is knowing when to let go. It's a hard truth, but not all friendships are meant to last forever. Instead of holding on to past ties, sometimes it's healthier. For both sides to accept that people just grow apart, it's a natural part of life and a natural part of adulting. As we change, so do our relationships. I've always appreciated the saying: "Friends come into our lives for a reason, a season, or a lifetime." The challenge lies in understanding which category they fit into, embracing change, and letting go when it's time can save us a lot of heartaches. That is about friendships, about our relationship with others. But how about ourselves? The next thing is self-care. Sometimes being adult means taking a day off from being adult. Having a break helps you recharge your mental energy. It doesn't have to be an expensive spa or fancy vacation. Whether your idea of a treat is ordering a takeaway when it's your turn to cook or binging a TV series one afternoon, do what you want from time to time and don't feel too guilty. Remember, taking care of yourself isn't a luxury; it's a necessity. <laughs> Relatively more serious. That is your money. Yes, our personal finance matters, and will it will be both the key and the barrier to a lot of what we want to do in the future. So let's start with savings, shall we? Here's a very simple formula: your capital equals what you've learned plus what you've spent. Savings is always about having an end goal inside. Okay, I need to save for that house. I need to save for that car. I need to save for that brand bag or things like that. I tend to think of it more like a mindset, a habit. So there was a time when I determined to go minimalist, and my father said, "If rich people stop buying stuff, it's minimalism. If I stop buying stuff, it's called being poor." That makes sense. I thought <laughs> so. I didn't end up going to that extreme, but saving is always a good thing, 
and Mtaris, which is an advantage because the action of saving itself makes me feel happy. And 22 months after I started my first full-time job, I saved enough money to pay for a master's degree in Ivy League University and fulfill the dream that I've always had since childhood. That's the first time I learned the magical power of saving. And more practically speaking, there are two pots of gold everyone should aim to have. The first part is your emergency fund. Ideally, you need to save for about £1,000 for it, for those unexpected curveballs life throws at you. And the second part is the fuck you money. Imagine a day when you just can't take your job anymore. This fund should cover six months of your usual lifestyle and also giving you the freedom to make decisions to quit without financial burdens and enough time to find a new one if you want to. A book that I would highly recommend that I believe everyone in our quarter life should have a read is is The Psychology of Money. And one of the most fascinating points from that book is the author mentioned that he bought a house with full payment. He said it's the worst financial decision he has ever made in his life. But it's also the best money decision he has made. Because he remains that free. And the peace of mind that brought him was invaluable. So remember, in the financial world, one side doesn't fit all. It's deeply personal. I once took a finance course um, where our first task was to determine our personas, risk tolerance level, and all the subsequent financial decisions stem from there. My uh, kind of hypothetical persona is someone really risk avoid. So most of the um, investment decisions made from that persona are all for these like low risk, also low return. The key takeaway here is when it comes to managing your money, um, try to be an proper adult who can stay on top of the personal finance. Really try to know yourself and never forget to prioritize your peace of mind. And there is also an interesting concept I learned from a personal finance course. It's called lifestyle inflation. So lifestyle inflation refers to a situation when individuals' income increases and their spending also increases accordingly. This often happens after some bigger events like um, graduation from college, a job promotion, or a significant salary raise. So even if, let's say, your salary raised by 20%, but if your expense also increased accordingly by 20%, then it's not that much of a difference. Lifestyle inflation can result in situations where people place great emphasis on acquisition of objects in order to achieve happiness. A course on Coursera on happiness show some research findings that what determines our happiness level in our life is not about the possessions, it's more about the experience. So if you ever want to spend money, which is totally fine, spend on those experiences. Make sure you spend on those experiences that would, would end. Even if it's just a meal, the, a meal ends, right? It will remains in your memory. Can also spend it something like a trip, because that trip ends. But if you spend it on a on a brand new house and a luxury bag, you will feel a rush of adrenaline in the first place. That's for sure. But 
that kind of happiness decreases or say fades away very quickly. When it comes to personal finance, there are always so many things to talk about and delve deeper into. So. Please let me know if you're interested in this topic on Instagram, and I'll make a separate episode on this topic if you're interested. And now let's move on. The sixth thing I want to talk about, and、uh, that's also something I've been looking into lately, is your space. So. <clears throat> Given how my flat looks now, I'm apparently not the best person to talk about keeping my place tidy. When many argue that our physical environment mirrors our mental state, I found it more nuanced than that. I recently tuned in a podcast by Mill Robbins about the art of tidying. One insight stuck with me: home maintenance isn't about constantly having a spotless space; it's about having a functional one. We don't sign up for not having any dirty dishes or laundry piled up in the room. We sign up for having clean dishes and clean laundries. When we need them, it's not about perfection. It's about practical use. So household, all the chores in our household is always a cycle. It's not static, right? So as long as you can get what you need and you're happy with the current cleanliness level, you're good to go. And on top of that, add some sense of ceremony into your daily life is also a great way to bring more joy. It doesn't have to do with how many things you own or how big your place is. When I lived in the nine square meter room in London, it still felt like home. It still felt really cozy because everything in that room. The plant on the windowsill, the book on the nightstand, and the stickers on the wall—they are all meaningful. To me, and they are there for a reason. So, at the heart of it, creating our space isn't about amassing a collection of the finest decor or the trendiest furnishings. It's about curating a space that allows you the freedom to indulge in what you love, while efficiently managing the must-dos. True adulting, in essence, balances passion with responsibility. <laughs> It's time for our last point: work slash career. My colleagues always see me as a very career-oriented person, which I really appreciate because that's exactly the impression I want to leave on my colleagues. Overall, my career is my top priority at this stage of my life. Yet, the concept of work and its importance really varies immensely across individuals. For instance, a dear friend of mine once consulted a fortune teller in China. Yes, one of those really precise ones, and she was informed that her career would only take off in her forties or even fifties. So, equipped with that perspective, as she navigates her twenties right now, she's very comfortable focusing on her personal relationships and even contemplates starting a family earlier than most people, because she knows it's not time for her career, things like that. So, the thing here is, there is no universal roadmap for our careers. There is no one size fits all trajectory. And for those who have read the book, The Defining Decade. I really don't think we should hurry too much 
in our career as well, and put too much pressure on ourselves on beliefs like, oh, if I can't make my career really great in my twenties, I can't be successful in career in my entire life. I think that's a really negative way of to to look at it, and I don't buy into that. And also, with the ever changing dynamic of the modern world, many are gravitating towards freelance roles or carving out independent path as content creators, like what I do, what I'm doing right now. And I often get the question: Do you ever see yourself as a full time content creator? My answer right now: Nah. For me, stepping into the traditional workspace. Serves as a bridge, a bridge that connects me to the diverse people and experiences to the real world. Post academia, it becomes a vital conduit for me to the outside world. And additionally, there is an undeniable thrill in navigating all the challenges the corporate world throws my way right now. And when it comes to content creation, it often hinges on thinking about all those real life experience, right? So without all these events in my daily life. What stories would I tell in my content creation? And in the grand scheme of things, the essence of work boils down to individual choices. Whether you are very passionate about your job right now, you're the person who posts three times on LinkedIn, or you simply see it as a means to an end, as a way to pay your bills and also give you a great work-life balance, so you can focus on your real passions. Both are very valid approaches. You do your job. But you own your career. At the end of the day, when we become adults, this is all you. It is you who pay the bills. It is you who gets the groceries. It is you who remembers to call the friend or the dentist or the boss when you are sick with a flu. It's you who pays for the monthly Netflix subscription so that you have something comforting to watch while you are laying in bed all day. At the end of the day, adults are not merged; they are made. For quarter life, you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. You can also follow the channel on Instagram, Tokyo for Quarter Life. The link can be found in the show notes. If you like what you've been hearing so far, I encourage you to follow the show and leave a comment, please, which is really really important for me. And tell me what you love about this episode, which is your favorite episode, or what you want to hear me talk about in the future. I'm your friend Kitty, as in Hello Kitty. Have a good rest of your day. See you in the next episode.